Thanks for downloading this IMSA radio podcast. podcast from the International Motorsports Association and Radio Show Limited. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced, or used in any form without permission. And welcome along to another one of our season reviews here on the uh, Radio Show Limited network of channels. Uh, and this one is all about IMSA and the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, which we've covered extensively throughout the 2018 season over on RS2, which is, of course, the home of IMSA Radio 24-7 and 365 days of the year. I'm delighted to say that my two full-time Full season IMSA Radio colleagues are joining me to go through what was actually a pretty stunning year in all respects. Uh, hello to Sheer Adam. Did you enjoy the season, first of all, Sheer? There wasn't a moment I didn't enjoy, John. It's hard thinking back on uh, a time on the pit lane, save for maybe Daytona where it was a little bit cold, but the rest of the time, just a wonderful experience up and down and a lot of happy people throughout the IMSA paddock. That was one of the themes of the year, Jeremy, just the attitude and the atmosphere in the IMSA paddock. Yeah, no no argument uh, there, John. I think uh, the whole vibe around the place was, was upbeat. Uh, everybody was positive about uh, the changes that have been made over the last few years. Not been very many, but there have been kind of subtle changes, mm. apart from the, in, apart from the uh, introduction of DPI, I suppose, a year or two ago. But it, I think it was good all the way through the field, and it was just great to see, as Shay would say, the quality of the racing was outstanding. Uh, now, we tackled the Connell Tire Sports Car Challenge and the... Uh, development series in another programme. So here we are going to be focusing in on what I suppose IMSA would call uh, their main event, the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, and running alongside that, of course, in 2018, the Tequila Patron North American Endurance Cup. There are all kinds of changes for 2019. Let's not bother ourselves with that right now because this is a review programme, not a preview. Although I suspect there's a few things that will come up that have happened since the end of the season. Let's dive straight in to GTD. This, of course, is uh, the area where we're talking about uh, GT3 cars. And that, Jeremy, first of all, we have to say, has really paid off for IMSA. There were one or two people who weren't so sure about adopting the global formula and the global phenomenon that has been GT3. But it hasn't taken very long for North America and for the endurance community, in particular North America, to embrace GT3 cars and take them to their heart. Completely agree with you there. I mean, what we had we had eight manufacturers on the grid this year. Uh, all but one of them uh, tasted uh, the manufacturer's got an opportunity to taste the victory champagne, which is fairly remarkable in of itself. I mean, there was, there was 11 races during a season, eight just seven different winners it's it's uh, it's pretty amazing i think how how competitive it was and uh you know the, the formula is it's been massaged a little bit but i think imsa has done a phenomenal job of keeping on top of the uh, developments on the cars and keeping them as closely matched as humanly possible uh, and share that diversity of race winners this year with i think everybody except audi winning 
a race of the full-time manufacturers this year. Kept us on our toes. It's true. And you look at uh, qualifying even, it was a terrible indicator of how the race was going to go. <laughs> Jack Hawksworth got more pole positions than anybody else. I think he had four by the end of the year. And yet his car didn't even finish on the podium once across the race season. So we couldn't look to any of our familiar indicators to sort of get a sense of how the races were going to go. And in GTD, I mean, in every class, we set race distance records in terms of the overall season. GTD, we effectively went further an additional VIR race distance this year than mm. we did last year. So you, you think about that and the pace and the quality of the field this year was unrivaled. I, I don't really even know how to start and how to go through uh, this, to be honest, because there was so much going on at every race. We could probably spend a couple of hours just talking about GT Daytona. I think the only thing we can do is is look at the final tables and, and sort of pick out some highlights uh, from that. Um, if you go down the, the IMSA supplied tables, there are five drivers who scored 11 points who are listed in joint 71st place in the, <laughs> in the driver's standings, bring, being uh, Randy Walls, Harold Project, uh, Steve Smith, Matteo Caroli and Sven Muller. Jeremy, right throughout the whole of the points table, this might be the quote-unquote entry-level class to the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, but there's class in terms of the drivers and the manufacturers and the teams. But particularly with the drivers, there's class all the way through this. Well, there is. And you know, that's, that's one of the things, of course, that uh, maybe caused a little bit of controversy for the fact uh, mm-hmm. GTD and P2, they're designated as effectively pro-am classes. So you're supposed to have a professional and a non-professional. Well, it's, it's a bit blurry, isn't it, as to, as to what is, who is a professional and who isn't. And that certainly caused a few rumblings let's say and particularly at the end of the season as well which we maybe might talk about maybe in a little while but uh, the quality really was strong and the quality of the ams was was strong as well and it, you know it came down to two teams i think they both had you know what's the, the, they've been termed super silvers uh toward the end of the season which are <laughs> kind of over qualified silver rated drivers i.e. non-professional drivers supposedly and and that was uh, certainly caused some controversies but you know that aside a controversy aside it was always kind of bubbling there but the, the quality it was immense and and because of that yeah there weren't that very many mistakes made no. relatively speaking and so the, the season was relatively clean and it really came down to consistency and running up front on, on a regular basis was what made the difference in the championship and we started the season with uh, we started and ended the season with controversy. Uh, the end of the season, as Jeremy's alluded to, with the with IMSA breaking ranks for the first time with the FIA regulations in, in terms or the FIA uh, um, grading system um, for drivers, which is a which is an interesting development. I'm I'm not honestly sure which side of the line I am on it. I've always said that you can complain as much as you like, but so long as you put in a set of parameters and, and facts at the beginning and everybody gets dealt the same hand from their from their performances, then I don't see that it's a bad thing. Uh, you can argue about what weight is put on which championship and uh, and what that means. Paul Walter Director of Racing 
for IMSA was on uh, Midweek Motorsport in November, which you can go back and have a listen to. He was very, very good with his time and explained it all, so we won't go through all of that again. So that was the controversy at the end of the season once the chequered flag and the trophies had been handed out. But we started at the beginning of the year uh, with controversy at the beginning of the season, Monteplast by Land Motorsport with, with the, the time that fueling was taking. This, is, this has been a hot topic in other formula uh, as well. But we were thankfully free of much controversy through, through the season and, and allowed Shea to concentrate on the racing on the track. There were a few moments that spring to mind. There, there was another incident with Land where they were leading the race at Watkins Glen and then they were given a penalty. Yes. And instead of coming in to serve the penalty, they just parked the car and basically took their toys and went home. Uh, there was a call made during Petit Le Mans, particular to GTD, where the right motorsport Porsche was penalized and the Ferrari that went on to win the race wasn't uh, in a spin. And there were, there were a couple of things that just stood out. But when you're thinking about the amount of racing that we had over the course of the year, it's pretty darn good. If you're a referee in the NFL and you have those sort of odds, you're happy with your game at the end of the season. All in all, GTD had more positives than negatives. Yeah, and, and when we look at the teams that were pretty much full season entries, Jeremy, we, we can look at probably the top 10 uh, in points. And, you know, straight away at 10, you look at three GT racing. They won't be racing the Lexus in the coming season in 2019. They didn't have a bad season. No, it was good. I mean, the cars were certainly fast. Uh, you know, it was their second season running these cars. The previous year, they, the team definitely shot themselves in the foot several yeah. times when they were mm-hmm. in position to win races. This season, there certainly wasn't as much as that, of that, I, I should say. Uh, the car was always fast. The, the difficulty the team had was was uh, was looking after the rear tyres on the Lexus, and, and that was always a problem later in the stints and later in the races. Uh, but um, I, you know, th- there's no question to me that the results don't really give a fair reflection of the pace of the car. Uh, you know, the other car ended up fifth in the team's championship mm. with a couple of wins uh, to to their credit. But you know, that, and again, that was just down. That was down to good, consistent r- driving by both uh, Carl Marcelli and Dominic Bauman, who who's a, who uh, was new to North America this season, but acquitted himself extremely well. Ninth position in the teams, and we'll, I'll, I'll rattle through these because it gives us some talking points, and we'll, I'll, I'll come back to the top drivers and, and the battle for the championship in a wee moment. Turner Motorsport, BMW. Wasn't a stellar season share for BMW in any way, shape or form. They, they finished eighth out of the eight registered uh, manufacturers, or, or, although... That said, there were you know twenty points off Porsche in sixth, and I suppose if you think of, of Porsche as being one of the high watermarks uh, of any endurance series, you, you might have taken that at the at the start of the season. But I don't think Will Turner will be happy with the season that they had. No, and there was a lot of inconsistency. They went through a lot of different drivers. Did get the win at the sail in six hours of the Glen, so that is a huge knob for them to hang their hat off of and and carry on with pride. Will Turner reunited with Bill Opperlin for many of the races. They had Robbie Foley, but they ended the season off pretty badly, thinking their chassis was going to be done for with Mm. the crash at Petit Le Mans. And they had a lot of moments, John, where they got taken out of the races. Think back to Lime Rock as well. No fault of their own, no fault of their drivers. Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, 
And all of a sudden, they're sitting there with a broken car and a huge bill to pay. Only one win at the end of the year. That's not enough for Will Turner. He's going to come back with vengeance on his mind. I'll come back to to MSR uh, and and how hard Michael Shank and the rest of the Mayshank racing guys had to work. They finished up in eighth and second. So I'll come back to them when we get to second, uh, Jeremy. Seventh position in teams, Magnus Racing with the Audi. And again, in terms of how the Audi went this year, they were seventh uh, as far as the manufacturers. But effectively for most of the year, that was a single entry for that car. John Potter's team never lacking in the ability to put out a good press release. But I think their performance on the track this year, again, will leave them just a tiny little bit disappointed. Kind of yes and no. Uh, okay. it, it certainly started off pretty average. Uh, then all of a sudden it got quite good. A couple, you know, back-to-back podium finishes, which was good for the team at uh, Canadian Time Sports and Lime Rock. So that that was great. And as a result of that, uh, I think particularly probably north of the border, John Potter really stepped up his yes, game. He did. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think there was a really positive signs toward the end of the season for, for Magnus Racing, particularly for the, the team principal, John. I mean, he really did do a nice job. Several occasions, I think it was Lime Rock, he had a problem early in the race. He slipped quite a long way back from the back of the pack. He caught Breaks, that up I think it was. all the way up. Yeah, yeah it was Briggs, some, well remembered. Weird. Yeah. It was something weird. Uh, and, and it kind of rectified itself or he drove around it, whatever. But he got himself back up in the, into contention. And that was a, a real turning point, I think, for John. So I think very, very positive signs moving forward. If we go to sixth position on the teams, also sixth position in the manufacturers, that was Porsche uh, and the 58 Wright Motorsports car. Now, at the outset, at the start of the season, Pat Long and Christina Nielsen, Christina, multiple champion and going for three in a row. Pat Long needs no introduction. All right, there might have been a little bit of a question mark over the Porsche, which was not the newest of GT3 cars and, and by many people's thoughts, perhaps not the most competitive of GT3 cars on a global standpoint. It actually started really badly at Daytona, not with any of the yeah. two full-time drivers. And in fact, before the green flag of the race, it was all going wrong. That's the surreal moment of the year for me, yeah. standing on the pit lane with Johnny Knotts. And all of a sudden he turned to me and said, the 58 has crashed. And I said, what? And he goes, on the warm-up lap, 58, who's in it? Well, that's Robert Renauer. He yep. didn't crash. He doesn't crash. Porsche so, world champion. Porsche World Cup champion. I mean, just yeah. extraordinary. And considering that this was Wright Motorsports' first year in GTD, it's a name we know a lot from running in the GT3 Cup Challenge, from being <laughs> champions there. Mm. They stepped up to the big class. Two poles and the win at Road America John Wright is happy with the debut season they had. But the way it started off, man, that was wacky. Should have been two wins, really, Jeremy. At Lime Rock, uh, Pat Long had uh, a very bizarre tyre issue that really did cost them the win. But I, I was quite impressed at how Christina got ahead around a very different car uh, during the year. And there was certainly some promise in the second half of the season for for the whole setup there. Yeah, very much. I think they they probably scored more points than anybody actually over the last four races of the season. They had a win a couple of seconds and a fourth. Well, in terms of the uh, the, the, the manufacturers' championship, at least for uh, mm. for Porsche. So so that was uh, that was very promising. The original, of course, for Wright Motorsports was run run two cars in quite a few of the races. They ended up running the third the second car only three times. So that was kind of a, a a bit of an unsettling, I think, influence on the team. Plus, uh, the, the team manager Phil Howard had some. Uh, 
some difficulties as well, yes, personal health-wise, halfway through the season. So the team had the challenges, but they bounced back really, really well, and uh, and and you know, at least had a win to show for it. So hats off to the team for. You know, showing no question how how much they belong at this level. The, the fifth place uh, team was the other half of 3GT, which we've sort of mentioned with the uh, with the Lexus. Uh, so we'll shift up to fourth, and the number sixty three Ferrari Scuderia Corsa, the WeatherTech car. I mean, a, a good second half of the season and a great finish to the season. Share is that enough for their efforts? No. Plain and simple. They will not be happy with this. It is their second worst championship finish since wow. 2014. Having won the championship twice has Scuderia, of course, and finished second in it. They realize what it takes. Actually, they've won it three times because they won it with uh, Bell and Sweetler, too. Mm. So they've had this consistency of winning it or being in the top three. Their worst finish in the championship is fifth. So fourth, they're still familiar with. But when you look back at their driving lineup, you think about... The year starting off with Alessandro Balzon, Gunnar Jeanette, and Jeff Siegel at Daytona. Think about Balzon's pass around the outside of uh, Jerome Blakemolin yes. at Sebring. How phenomenal that was. He was sidelined starting at Detroit, so he only got to run three races this year. From there, we had Alessandro Pierguidi in the car. We had Daniel Serra helping them get the win at uh, Petit Le Mans. Four podiums in one win is not enough for Ferrari. It's not enough for Scuderia Corsa. Uh, and yet, they only ended up less than a win away from the Manufacturers' Championship. Let's not forget, because they ended up in, in third, whilst in fourth position was Mercedes-Benz AMG uh, with the 33 car, uh, Team Riley Motorsports. An incredibly consistent season for those guys. I I, I wondered what the, the Mercedes would do. It was certainly one of the form cars coming into 2018. Again, I'll ask the same question, Jeremy. Was third enough? Well, I, I'm sure the team was just a bit disappointed with that. Uh, certainly, again, that's another team Riley, run by Riley Motorsports. That's another team that was planning on running two cars for the whole season, Correct. effectively. And mm-hmm. that was the, so they were thrown various curveballs there. You know, it's always it's always got to be a benefit when you have got two cars under under the awning. There's more data to draw from. It's just you know, it's just easier easier that way. There's 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 so much more to learn from having two cars. So having a one car was a difficulty. Having musical chairs on the on the co-driver seat with Cooper McNeil was also rather weird in a Ferrari. Mm. Uh, not so much, of course. Yeah, they didn't have that problem at all with Riley Motorsports and the Mercedes. That was a consistent pairing there. Ben Keating and Jerome Blakemol. They get along great. Uh, ben uh, is driving better than ever this season. I think the team they didn't have much luck going their way this this season. That's for sure. Yeah. But you know th- th- those two always put on a good show. And when Lucas Stoltz came in, you know, he was a, he's a bit of a talent as well for the longer races. <laughs> and uh, you know, as a result of that, they were able to come away with the uh, Tequila Patron North American Endurance Championship in GTD. So that would have been uh, that would make the season absolutely worthwhile. You know, they put a lot of effort into winning that championship at, uh, at Petit Le Mans and came away with uh, with that. So hats off to Riley Motorsports, Mercedes JMG for that. As Jeremy's mentioned that, it's a perfect opportunity to talk about the long-distance races. Points scored at Daytona, Sebring, Watkins Glen and Road Atlanta at the longer races throughout 2018. Jerome, Ben and Luca taking that by just three points in the end from Catherine Legg and Alvaro Parent, third joint with Madison Snow and Brian Sellers. 
the Christopher Meese, Sheldon van der Linde combo were fourth because that they majored on those four longer races ahead of uh, Coop McNeil and Gunnar Jeanette, who were a couple of points further back, which meant, of course, that Riley took the teams in the long distance championship ahead of MSR and the 86, Paul Miller in the 44 and Monoplast by Land the fourth position. We'll have an extra championship to talk about at this time next year because there'll be the sprint championship as well. Part of the reason I think there was such a good atmosphere in the paddock this year was that it's clear to me that IMSA have been listening, particularly to GT Daytona, particularly to the teams for whom this is very much a business and they need to attract customers. And I don't think I found anybody in GT Daytona who had anything bad to say about what came out of the state of the the state of the series at Road America what, two-thirds of the way through the year? No, you're right. There is a lot of optimism. And you're right that IMSA did engage with its stakeholders, i.e. the teams and, and, and the people that are funding the team. So that's that's important. They, they have listened. They've made these changes. They've brought in this new Sprint Cup Championship for next season, which is, I think, a good idea. I liked it when IndyCar did that mm. uh, with Verizon IndyCar Series. They had the Mario Andretti Cup and AJ Foyt Cup for the Ovals. Uh, and the Andretti Cup for the for the road courses. I liked that. I think it's 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 something else to aim for, and uh, I think that's going to be an, a, a a positive addition to the series for 2019. From IMSA's point of view, I think they've recognised that not everybody wants to or can afford to, on a, from a business sense or from a driver's sense, uh, do the whole series. So the the addition of another option uh, can't be a bad thing. Worth noting, though, share that for the winners, and they defended their championship, we should mention, uh, Ben Keaton and Jerome Blake and Morland, um, that's the, the second time they've won that championship, and they'll have to look for a new third driver next year, again. Yeah, they had Mario Farnbacher in 2017 when they won it. He's going to be gold for 2019. And they had Lucas Stoltz this year, and he's going to be gold for 2019. And since Jerome has been downgraded to a gold for next year, but Ben still a bronze, they can't have two gold. They're going to need to find another silver. And uh, so it means they're going to have their third different endurance driver in as many years. Or another bronze. Just I, I'm just, you know, sticking. Yeah, you Jeremy and I both sticking our heads <laughs> above the parrot put there, just in case. Um, as as far as the championships, uh, the championship was concerned in the WeatherTech Sports Guard Championship, it was... Jeremy, I think it's fair to say a season-long battle that perhaps, well, no, not perhaps, actually, we weren't expecting to be talking about because the 86 car with Catherine Legg and Alvaro Parent, the the uh, Acura NSX uh, Meerschank Racing with Kerb Agajanian, that was a car that was only meant to be contesting the Tequila Patron North American Endurance Cup. But after a great start to the season at Daytona and Sebring, it was sort of on a race-by-race basis. We honestly didn't know till well through the year whether Catherine, who was the only ever present in that car, because Alvaro, thinking he was only going to do the long races, took on some other work, reasonably so. We didn't know whether Catherine was going to be back race to race. An outstanding team effort. And 
really brilliantly focused from Catherine Legg, who had to deal with a couple of different co-drivers throughout the year and still have the eye on the prize, which was repaying the faith that the team, and particular Michael Shank, had, had shown in her to get that car into every race of the year. It was a tremendous effort by that whole team. And yeah, while we talk about a team, we talk about having no luck during the season. Mm. Well, Justin Marks yes. and Lawson Aschenbach in the other car, boy, Correct. They, they were just snake-bitten all the way through the season. Absolutely nothing went right. They had one podium finish, which was a lot less than they deserved in that car because uh, generally the two Acuras were pretty closely matched. But it was a, a tremendous effort by Catherine leading that team to to be in contention for the win, well, right down to the last couple of laps, really, wasn't it, at, yeah. uh, at Petit Le Mans, the end of the season. So uh, hats off to everybody involved there, Mike Shank uh, and all his supporters for, for making it happen and for the whole team for pulling together and, uh, and just driving absolutely beautifully. Two wins on the season for Catherine. And wouldn't it have been amazing to see uh, you know, a, a, a lady on top of the championship standings for the third year in a row? Unfortunately, it wasn't quite to be, but it came awfully close. And Catherine just did a magnificent job all the way through the season, I thought. Uh, that I don't disagree with any of that, Shay. But what we should say, on a, uh, in a championship where there are no codicils, no help, no asterisks for what gender uh, you are or even perhaps you aspire to be in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, uh, then uh, that's the fourth year in a row that a, uh, a female racer has been first or second in the championship. Yeah, it's excellent to see. And don't forget, we also had Catherine get the first pole for a woman in the championship as well this year at uh, WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. She's got a lot to be proud of. And the only thing that I wish from the year, because I kind of enjoyed the fact that we didn't know if the car was going to be back each week coming up next. You think back to Belle Isle and how hard they scrambled to put together a program for that weekend, how nervous everybody was. And then Catherine driving with Mario Farmerbacher went out and got a win. They knew they were going to be at Watkins Glen, but they weren't entirely sure if they were going to be at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. And they really didn't know about Lime Rock Park. So it was one of those things that they were driving for their jobs. I just wish we had Al all year long because Parent comes in his first season in IMSA, he gets a win, and his co-driver finishes second in points. He missed two races where they got a win and a third, but please, let's have him back in IMSA next year too. Uh, and what I should say is, and it's interesting to note, that that 86 car outscored the championship-winning cars seven times to four across the season. So you can look at a couple of races where the gap between them was quite large and you could reasonably say that that is where the championship went. And and that, Jeremy, just points to how tight and how competitive this season is because if you're not winning, nobody's going to win every race in GT Daytona. Certainly not in 2018. That didn't happen. We talked about the variety of winners. But you've got to take the points on offer and sometimes... Sometimes, if you can slightly outperform that, then that's what will give you the championship. And, and, and I think, in point of fact, that's that's what Paul Miller Racing, the 48, with, with Madison Snow and Brian Sellers and the team did. Because they had a couple of weekends that could have been disastrous for them, but they turned them around. 
Yeah, they did. Uh, they had some problems, didn't they, in, uh, at the right time before the races came around and were True. able to change engines or whatever it was and, and, and come back strong. And, you know, I mean, eight podium finishes from 11 races in this sort of uh, level of competition, that, that is going to win you a championship every single time. And that's exactly what happened for Brian Sellers and Madison Snow. They both did an absolutely stellar job. Uh, and it was a great battle between that number 48 car and, and the Acura. Uh, all the way through from start to finish. You, you're right, you know, the Acura did outscore the Lamborghini more often than the other way around, but uh, there were just a couple of niggly little problems. It was particularly, I think, that uh, that thing, the race at Sebring that uh, that cost the uh, Acura mm. pretty dearly. I can't remember what the problem was, mm. Shay. Can you? Um, I just they, remember they the finished... other car being written off and the team working really hard to rebuild it and then spares being an issue for both cars. Yeah, that's a good point. And then they had the, the, they had not the great finish uh, at Road America as well. That was a big point differential because other times it was a point or two either way or, you know, uh, in the favour of Catherine when she won at Belle Isle, uh, of course. That was a fantastic, a fantastic victory. I, I, I enjoyed that battle. I think particularly uh, of Watkins Glen where Catherine uh, got the better, didn't win the race, but got a couple of extra points. But my goodness, there's some close racing there. And Jeremy, you and I, our hearts were in our mouths. I can't imagine what it was like for either of the, the teams involved. But that was you know, <laughs> right, in, right in the middle of the season. And that could have gone anywhere. They could have both ended up balled up in a, in a heap by the arm core, couldn't they? They could. It was it was a great battle. I'm I'm thrilled for Paul, for Paul Miller. I mean he's he's uh, the, the heart and soul of an endurance racer. Right. He, he was a pretty accomplished racer himself, and he's worked so hard to get that team to the top of the pile and to to be there on a regular basis. You know they they were kind of disappointed not to have more than two wins, mm. but. Uh, they had they had everything, you know. They, they had they had poles, they had podiums on a regular basis, and that's what it takes to win a championship. And that's what they went into the season hoping for and looking for is that championship, and and they pulled it off in style. At the end of uh, Road Atlanta, the gap was only four points between Brian Sellers and Madison Snow, and they take the championship for 2018. They will not be together in 2019 for the reasons that we've just mentioned. Madison, rather reluctantly, it would seem, hanging up his race boots and helmet and uh, going back into the family business for at least for the moment and turning his back on what he's described as his hobby. Brian Sellers, we simply don't know whether he'll be back to defend his championship. Catherine Legg's been uh, recategorised by the FIA and that has been upheld by IMSA as well. She was in uh, second place. And then it was Jerome Bleakamall and Ben Keating in third with Cooper McNeil in fourth, Cal Marcelli in fifth with Dominic Bauman. Alvaro Parent, as she mentioned, made up the top six due to his excellent showing in the long-distance races. Patrick Long and Christina Nielsen that we mentioned, they ended up in joint seven. Let's hope for another great GTD year in 2019. I can't imagine anything different. Potential of new manufacturers coming with uh, McLaren fairly heavily tipped to be putting a car in. Which team? We don't know yet, but there are cars out there. Let's move on to the second category of GT, GT Le Mans. You're listening to a special programme as we look back at the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship for 2018 on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. Share Adam and John Hindorf with Jeremy Shaw as well with us, the IMSA Radio team back together again post-season, just basking in the glorious light of the season during the dark winter months. 
a small but perfectly formed field, Jeremy. I, I would have liked to have seen the Ferrari more times and, and frankly we still don't know what's happening going forward uh, with Risi Competizione but this is effectively now a full works category and this is where the the works GTs the factory GTs come out to play and I'm not sure there's any better racing anywhere else unparalleled anywhere in the world I think uh, once again the technical team just did a sensational job I believe of uh, keeping the cars as equitable as possible. And, you know, gosh, it, that was nip and tuck everywhere you look at it. I mean, all, 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 four, all four manufacturers are here on a regular basis. One, well, they didn't actually all win two, minimum of two races. Chevrolet, which ended up winning yeah. the teams and the drivers' championship, they only won once. Yes. And, the, and, the, and the drivers' champions didn't win at all, which was amazing. But, yeah, it was a, it was an incredible season. And, and you, you could speak to any of the any member of any of, the, of those four manufacturer teams and none of them were grumbling at least from halfway through the season no. none of them was grumbling about balance and performance you just didn't hear that mm-hmm. term really towards the end of the season they were all really happy with, with what it had done it took them a while particularly with a new car coming in from BMW uh, we can perhaps talk about that a little bit because that was kind of weird early on in the season how that team seemed to fluctuate in performance mm. but I think it was probably more of the fact they just had, didn't have a, a fully a, a proper handle on the car coming into the season which is a bit surprising because I've been testing for more than a year. But anyhow, uh, it, by the end of the year, the, the second half of the year, it was just fantastic racing between all eight cars. I, I seem to remember, uh, I think in our Michelin post-race tech shows, uh, we talked an awful lot about balance of performance, but mainly to poo-poo the tweets that were coming in, Jeremy. I think it was yeah. uh, VIR where we had uh, a different car and manufacturer or different manufacturers I say on pole fastest lap and winning the race and you know three well, that a- happened just about just about every race John the only time it didn't happen was one two three four well okay five out of the 11 races only was there not a different manufacturer with pole win or fastest lap so more often than not, wow. uh, there was shared between the three of them. Yeah, so it's incredible, isn't it? And sure, we had long chats through the season with the IMSA technical team, uh, Simon and and the rest of the guys making themselves available to us, not necessarily uh, to have a microphone stuck up under their nose, but sometimes it was just to, to let us know not just what they were doing, but almost to say... Like you're asked at school in the in the exams. Well, I want to see you working out. Well, they were prepared oh. to say, this is what we've done. This is why we've done it. And this is the effect we expect it to have. And, you know, that's unparalleled access that we get to, to those guys. You just gave me algebra flashbacks, John. Not appreciating <laughs> that. Um, yeah, Jeff Carter, Simon Hodgson, pretty much always on the IMSA pit box. You had Jeff Mishdawi out there for the Continental Tire Challenge. And they were always happy to show what they were looking at on the screens, how they were breaking down what they were seeing. And even if it wasn't to air, they wanted me to know so that I could explain it, what they were looking at and what they were watching for. They were always interacting with the data live time. And they would go back through and watch the races afterwards 
with the data running live again to see what they possibly missed. They nailed it for GTLM this year. And the fact that they didn't change anything since, was it Road America onwards? Mm. That just goes to show the confidence that they yeah, had I in the product. So. Hardly any changes at all, you're right. No, that, yeah. that's, uh, and that proves that they got their sums right in, uh, in the first place. Um, let's go through the manufacturers. And Ferrari, as we know, they didn't compete the whole season, but it was great to see uh, Reese Competizione back. Who knows? I, I just just hope yes is is the answer, but we honestly don't know about right. that. But of the teams that contested the full season, there were only 19 points between the manufacturers come the end of the year in the overall WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Uh, and I think it was even closer than that um, if we uh, looked at the uh, Tequila Patron North American Endurance Cup. Well, that was about the same, 20 points actually between the, the manufacturers. Um, BMW uh, fourth position, bad first half of the season, as Jeremy uh, alluded to. Uh, got a bit of a BOP change part of the way through the year. Because you get a BOP change, doesn't hand you victories in this. You've still got to get everything right. But my goodness, did they get it right a couple of times, including Conor de Filippi and Alexander Sims. And what a shame we won't see Alexander back next year because he's going into Formula E. But how did they get to the end at Laguna Seca? When they got it right, they got it very right indeed at RLL BMW. Shit. They did. And you've got a feel for the BMW team because the one car getting the two wins, the beautiful win at VIR at, at Laguna. I still don't know how that happened, John. I can't answer your question for that. But then the other car, the John Edwards and Jesse Crone car, we thought there was going to be eternal luck for them when they started running the black car, which tended to be a good color for John Edwards. They finished seventh or eighth seven times this year, though. So that was a pretty brutal ending for them. They'll both be looking forward to next year. And where they'll wind up, we can't be 100% sure. But for BMW, getting the two wins, being the first team to get the international win for the M8 GTLM, that's a huge moment of pride for them. Uh, in third position in the Manufacturers uh, Championship were Porsche. Uh, they ended up uh, around 10 points away in the main championship, the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. I suppose, Jeremy, when you look at those two 911s, uh, they had the pace, certainly. They couldn't turn it into results, could they? They had a bit of bad luck in, in various places, but they just didn't... Well, I, I was going to say they didn't execute. I'm not sure that's even fair, but they couldn't get the results that the performance seemed to say was there for that car and for their drivers. Very strange, wasn't it? I, that, that was just one of the weird things of the season for me because yes. uh, the, the, there seemed to be no no apparent reason why the car shouldn't be uh, running up front. Again, I think you know, they, they, they have to make their tyre choice before the start of the season. Mm. And um, all I can think of is that the, their tyre choice is weren't working in their favour for whatever reason, but I don't know. I don't because yeah, even when they were running running fast, they, they weren't. They didn't see. They, they were just lacking in consistency, uh, and even even within a race, you know, from one from beginning to end of a race. So I don't know, honestly. Uh, in fairness, in fairness, here, um, all right, um, Earl Bamba, uh, Lawrence Vanter got the the win at Mid Ohio. Uh, they should have had a win at Long Beach, but they had that bizarre suspension failure behind a safety car. There was a gearbox problem at Daytona. The diffuser failed. 
at Sebring. The car stopped at Mosport. They had a wheel gun failure at Lime Rock. Uh, first lap at VIR was a nightmare. Fuel pump problem. It, at Road America, where you don't want it. Uh, I mean... <laughs> Really? I mean, you can't say that Porsche had a bad year on the international stage as far as sports car racing. And extraordinarily, through all of that, they only missed out on the Manufacturers' Championship in the North American Endurance Cup by three points uh, in in the end. But overall, all of their four drivers uh, will be disappointed. And it's not the way that Frank Stefan Walliser wanted to sign off his time looking after that program. He goes on to look after the whole of 911, the road car program. He's the gonna be the, the line manager, if you will, for for 911. He got some big wins outside of the US, but not the IMSA championship that they would have wanted this year. No, they didn't get the championship, but uh, Patrick Pile and Nick Tandy getting their first ever win of the Sebring twelve hour. That's yeah. big for Porsche as well. A uh, third win for Tandy, a second for Pile at Petit Le Mans, again, another big win for Porsche. They got to the podium in Watkins Glen, did that Tamden duo. So you can't look back on it and think it was a bad year. They got the win in Nürburgring and the Mall, of course, as well. Yeah. It just wasn't a Porsche year, if that makes any sort of sense. It was dominated mostly, the series, by two other manufacturers yes. that we will talk about soon. And when you look back at everything that happened to those two cars over the course of the year, it's incredible to think that they weren't more competitive because Lawrence Vantor, by my count, was the fastest driver yeah. over one lap in GTLM throughout the course of the season. Bringing back the same four drivers next year and potentially even the same endurance drivers into the cars as well, yeah. that's going to set them up nicely for 2019. Uh, and uh, through well, all it, is, of... it is, Shay, because, yeah. because, because for Lawrence, you know, that was his first season of racing Correct. over here, wasn't it? And that's a factor. I mean, you know, th- these are professional drivers, top-line drivers, but you know, when you're up against your competition that race on the same tracks for years and years and years, that is no question a disadvantage. Um, so I, I would expect that pairing to be stronger next year. For Pile and Tandy, look, they came up only one point short of the Tequila Patron Correct. North American Endurance Championship in GTA. And that was down to their horrible finish it, at Daytona, wasn't it? Uh, and or arguably their, their poor beginning to the race. They didn't focus, perhaps, mm. on getting maximum points in the first uh, at the four-hour mark of uh, Petit Le Mans at the, end of the, uh, at the end of the year because they, they swept the, the top uh, points at the end of the race, obviously, for winning it, and at the eight-hour mark. And if they'd got one more point, if they'd finished, if they'd been you know, one position higher at the first uh, the, the first point at which points they get given out, which is a four-hour mark, then they would have won that championship o- over Joey Hand and Dirk Mueller for Ford. So uh, you know, it just shows to me that you know, they, they left something on the table this season, did Porsche, uh, and I, I certainly don't expect that to happen next year. Uh, you you mm. mentioned the winners, the, the drivers' winners, uh, Dirk Muller and Joey Hand in the Tequila Patron North American Endurance Cup. They were driving for Chip Ganassi Ford GTUSA, mm. and I mean, Ford had a fantastic year, and it, and it came down, Jeremy, to a battle between the two big American manufacturers, that being Ford and GM with Chevy 
uh, Chevrolet Corvette and Jan Magnussen with Antonio Garcia, Richard Westbrook and, and Ryan Briscoe uh, ably backed up. Uh, what one should say by their uh, teammates in both cases because they were the next drivers up. Ollie Gavin and Tommy Milner finished third uh, in the Drivers' Championship in the overall championship. Dirk Muller and Joey Hand in, in fourth position. If you look at the bold stats, it was Ford's year. It should have been Ford's, Ford's year. Five <laughs> of 11 wins. Manufacturers' Championship. I, I look at that and think, I've still got no idea how Danny Binks and Doug Feehan keep getting these championships. But Jan Magnus and Antonio Garcia win the Jivers Championship and Jan's disappointed because he didn't take a race victory for only the second time he's ever been in the States racing. Yeah, that's right. It was a remarkable season all the way around in GTL. I mean, every way, whichever way you look at it, Ford's, yes, they, they had the car to beat this season, I think. Yeah. Uh, no question mm-hmm. about that. It was never never by much, no. but the fact that if, if one of the four GTs ran well, the other one seemed to have a problem. And that yep. is what costs the team yep. the Drivers' Championship uh, and, and the team's championship. Well, they did win the manufacturers, and that was well-deserved. But uh, the fact that you know, always one or other of the four GTs had a problem in the races, that's what cost them the chance to win the championship. The manufacturers' championship went by six points to Ford, as Jeremy said, from Chevrolet, uh, and just uh, another four points uh, behind were Porsche in third position. But you can't argue, Shea, with the uh, the drivers' championship in the WeatherTech Sports Guard Championship. Jan Magnus and Antonio Garcia were models of consistency. Their worst result of the season. Sebring and, uh, and Road they, Atlanta, actually. Yeah, Road Atlanta, which is when everybody stopped breathing when Antonio Garcia <laughs> did the impossible and made a mistake. Yes. Um, which still I don't understand how that happened. But at Sebring, they had a battery issue very early on, so that took them out of that race in terms of contention. But you go back to the Ford thing just for a moment. The thing that hurt Ford performance most in terms of the drivers' championship was that all four of the guys were so good. If Westy and Briscoe had won all five of the races, they would have run away with the Drivers' Championship if Joey and Dirk had won all five. But no, they split them evenly because they're that kind of nice people. And uh, (laughs) that's what resulted in Mags and Garcia being able to sneak up there and sort of work their ninja magic to steal the championship. Uh, Ollie Gavin and Tommy Milner, uh, once again, um, not getting the the rub of the green, Jeremy, in in the drivers' gym. Well, in in the championship through throughout the year, I, I I don't know what those guys have got to do to to get a run. I mean, they they had an issue a couple of years ago. They wanted to change the car and all that sort of thing. It's it's a big time coming up for Corvette. We we know there's a new car coming. It's not going to be in IMSA. Uh, in 2019, as far as a full season entry is concerned, I hear a rumour that we might see it at Motul Petit Le Mans prior to 2020. What are what are Gavin and, and Milner? What what are they missing that Magnussen and, and Garcia can can go to in terms of performance to get that consistency through the season? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I don't really know the answer to it. I think they. they oftentimes it didn't quite have the same pace I think as, as Magnuson and Garcia and uh, up until that, uh, that 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 final mistake by Antonio at, at Petit Le Mans when he lost it coming out of the pits and hit the fence um, the, yeah, that was probably the only mistake they made all all season long mm-hmm. um, so uh, yeah, it, it was that consistency that won them the championship uh, they, they, but they were also fast more often than, than not as well so it was, it was a well deserved championship but yeah, you know, Shade's right. It, it, it was 
more the factor that it, Fords weren't taking off each other so much as one of the one of the cars always seemed to have a problem, yeah. and it was always a different car that had the problem. That was what that cost them in the end. Before we move on to the the sharp end of the field, the prototypes, a couple of uh, of thoughts, please, from uh, from Jeremy and of Shear. I'll ask you in a moment about your GTD and GT Le Mans drivers and teams uh, of of the year. One of the things I particularly enjoyed, though, and I'll start with you, Jeremy, on this, was the races where the GT cars raced on their own. Uh, and I thought they worked particularly well at VIR and at, at Lime Rock. I thought that worked particularly well. And I thought we had two really good races uh, at, at those particular events for just the GT cars. I think it's great. And you know, Lime, Lime Rock is not the sort of track where you want... Uh, big speed differentials between the cars and, and, and too many cars on the racetrack because there's a recipe of a disaster mm. on a bullring like that. So I think it's brilliant there. Uh, and VAR, yeah, you know, it's, it's a long track for, for a relatively low car count. But again, the racing was fantastic. And, and VAR, it, we, if you had the prototypes there as well, the, the several points on that racetrack, both coming down the, the roller coaster section to the end of the lap, but also going up the hill uh, through, the, uh, through the climbing S's, you know, the, it's a recipe for for, for uh, drama there because mm. it's very easy for the pro, the prototypes carry so much more speed through those sections than do the GT cars. Uh, th- there are going to be incidents, and uh, so I, I like the fact that split up. It gives the manufacturers an opportunity to to really sing about their own cars on a, on an overall basis, which I think is great. And I think the fans, you know. The fact they turned out in droves yes. at both of the, those Great. events that tells you all you need to know. I mean, it's popular with everybody, I think. The other oddity, Shear, is Long Beach, where just the two pro classes, the GTDs and the prototypes, are there. We often get people telling us that there's not enough cars there, but we only have a short amount of time on track for the race, at least. And, and surely the most green flag racing we can fit in is the right way to go. It is. And for anybody who would rather see all the cars on the track, absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> Look back at Lime Rock at uh, Long Beach this year. Look back at Belle Isle. Mm. There's a huge gaping hole at Belle Isle where the GTLM cars aren't there. You don't want them there because they're over at Le Mans. They're going over to do the big race in France, but you miss them. And then you appreciate them a little bit more by the time we get to Watkins Glen. Same thing. We come off of uh, Daytona and Sebring. We go to Long Beach. No GTD cars there. We miss the GT3 cars. So that by the time mid-Ohio rolls around, it's like, hey, you guys are back. This is That's great. Like and that. you get to focus on it a bit more. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's very good. All right, Chip, with oh, you. That's good. That's good. I like it. Uh, let's go to GTD. Uh, who was your team of the year in GTD? Paul Miller Racing. Plain and simple. They did everything they needed to to win their first and championship. More. And more, and they did it. If you need to look back at the caliber of those ladies and gentlemen, look at the two engine changes that they did over the course of the races. That's impressive. Didn't face them at all, that Jeremy, and that's the mark of a good team when uh, when, uh, adversity strikes. Uh, That can mess up your weekend. They stayed focused. The drivers did their job. Paul Miller, for you in GTD, or are you looking elsewhere for your team of the year? No, I've got to agree with that. Absolutely, yes. It would be a shame to see them not in the championship to defend uh, next year. That is a matter for them, and we'll 
hear about that, I'm sure. Uh, driver or drivers of the year in GT Daytona. Jeremy, start with you on this. The champions or Catherine, or do you look further down you know, the standings? I think I might go to Catherine, Catherine for that one. If, if nothing else, for that magnificent pole she scored towards mm. the end of the season. She, she really stepped up. There was all that adversity she had to deal with, You're not knowing whether she was going to be driving, who was she going to be driving with. Uh, she was the, the ultimate professional this season. And while, while wanting to take absolutely nothing away from Brian Sellers and Madison Snow, who thoroughly deserved that championship, I'm going to give the nod to Catherine for Driver of the Year in GTD. The focus that she uh, applied, showed and applied, she, I mentioned that earlier on. Is that good enough for her to be your Driver of the Year as well? Or do you look somewhere else in GTD? Uh, I spent so many times tossing and turning trying to pick this. And I'm so glad that Jeremy picked her because I really wanted to pick her. But for me, it's got to be Madison Snow because he really stepped up this year. Eight podiums, the two wins. He was consistent and he was a safe pair of hands. I'm really going to miss seeing Madison in the paddock next year. But for me, he gets the nod. And he's still a young lad, isn't he? Let's be honest. Yeah. He was born in 1995. Oh, dear me. I don't, I'm not going to disagree with either of those. Let's move to GT Le Mans, and we'll start with teams there. Uh, Ford Chip Ganassi did a grand job. BMW came on strongly. RLL, uh, Rahal Latham and Lanigan uh, with a new man at the helm. Piers Phillips comes across from IndyCar to take over as... Uh, uh, overlord of all RLLs uh, racing, so I wonder what difference that will make to the GT Le Mans team, or is it someone else? Jeremy Shaw. Gosh, uh, it's hard to look past Corvette, isn't it? But 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 uh, I think Corvette racing, yes. But uh, a, a big shout out to BMW Team RLL. They they struggled a little bit from time to time with the BMW, but by the end of the season, they were knocking on the door on a regular basis. Now they're two wins there, uh, and uh, could have had more towards the end of the year as well. Do you add Ford into the mix of uh, that, or? Or what? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to choose between any no, of them, quite no, frankly. No, absolutely. Shea, what's, brilliant. who gets your nod, Shea? Uh, it's got to be the bow ties. How in the world Danny Banks managed to keep <laughs> two of the most passionate drivers on the grid when they get out on the racetrack calm and under control to just keep getting podiums and maybe not risk going for the win when it was on. They won the championship, so it's got to be Corvette Racing. Let's move on to the prototypes as we look back at the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and the Tequila Patron North American Endurance Cup for 2018. Uh, oh, sorry. No, I haven't done the GT Le Mans driver. She has just reminded me. Uh, oh, driver. I thought we were going to get away with that. No. Uh, I, <laughs> have, sorry, I, I have the dartboard in front of me, Jeremy, from the, from the distance of the, of the West Coast. Would you like to throw a dart into the dartboard? Yeah. Uh, which driver you or know, driver pairing did you, uh, did you rate in GTLM? I would have said uh, Antonio Garcia. Um, but that, until that mistake oh, at uh, Le Mans. I think I'm going to go with Westy. Richard Westbrook uh, was was absolutely superb this season. He had a whole bunch of poles. He was always good on fuel consumption. Can't recall any particular mistakes. Uh, it, it was a championship thing that slipped through their fingers this year because uh, without a couple of minutes of bad luck, they, they would have, uh, I think, won the championship. So I'm going to go for Richard Westbrook. Sure. Agree wholeheartedly. The man finally got the Rolex watch that he's been aiming for. Second in the championship, I think, for the fourth time for Richard Westbrook. So he's really not going to be happy finishing second again. But the four podiums, the three big wins, it's 
a phenomenal year for Richard Westbrook. And if you need a moment to look back on and think about his greatness in driving this year, look no further than VIR qualifying when it was wet and he was on flicks and it was a show. Uh, Let's go to the prototypes. WeatherTech Sports Car Championship Tequila Patron North American Endurance Cup for 2018. As we look back on the main names of championship for 2018 here on this special programme on the Radio Show Limited Network of channels. Jeremy Shaw, Shea Adam and me, John Hindoff. First thing to say, and I'm going to go straight back to the BOP thing, is once again, Simon Hodgson uh, and Jeff Carter and the team got it spot on, Jeremy, because the parity between the DPIs and the LMP2s. Yes, I know that the centre part of the car, the chassis, the tub, are the same on both, but those two philosophies of racing cars come from very different places. Effectively, a spec car with the global LMP2s, spec engine, driveline, suspension, and each of the four manufacturers get an aero kit, whereas with DPI, free engine, Pretty free on the aero, uh, free suspension, manufacturer involvement as well. Now, uh, the caveat is all to be BOP'd. It was, it worked, it worked so well that the manufacturers don't want it to be the same in 2019. I say score for everybody at Tim's a technical there. I do too, and I think it's a shame they've uh, they've bowed to the manufacturers on that. Quite frankly. I, I, I thought this season was absolutely sensational because exactly. of that. It's still going to be great for next year as well, don't get me wrong. But but I loved that that the fact that uh, you know, some other guys could get in the mix there and, uh, and 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 come away with some wins, which they did. And 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 you know if if fans and butts, uh, Colin Brown and Jeff John Bennett might even have won the championship overall. They came awfully close, didn't Three they? Three points yeah. in the end in the the yeah. overall. And it wasn't as if they had. I mean, they, they, yeah. They, you know, there is no question those cars did have a bit of an advantage uh, in the middle of the season, uh, no question. But, but you know, to compare the little teams as they are to the big teams like Penske and and Wayne Taylor Racing and and these other juggernauts, if the Action Express, um, you know, I I, I loved that uh, that that underdog aspect of it and i'm going to miss that i think next year assuming that they do what they what they what we think they're going to do which is give the dpi cars a you know an appreciable advantage i hope they don't do it to the same degree that they've done it in the wc because that to me has been a bit of a farce this season um but that's only because there's been only been one man one proper manufacturer in wc there's at least we're not going to have that problem no. in, in the instance where the deck sports car championship and i'm really excited going into next season already. It seemed that the LMP2 cars, the global cars here, had at least a, the opportunity to show their performance at some of the smoother circuits, I think particularly of, of Watkins Glen uh, and mm-hmm. some of the quicker circuits like Road America where speed uh, was important. They were clearly quite slippery. They worked quite well through the fast, the high-speed corners. What they didn't have was the grunt of the big engines of the Cadillacs in in particular, interesting to me how it balanced out throughout the season. But isn't that why? Isn't that why we like sports car racing because of the variety? Because some manufacturers, whether it's a GT or a prototype, will have a car that works better at one circuit and not so well at another. No, it is for sure. And and the thing that I really appreciated looking back on the season is that even the big DPI teams, nobody had a stellar season. Nobody had a clean the- season. Exactly. The the yeah. most podium finishes, I think, was from the championship winners eventually, where they had five. 
But even the big teams where we were coming off the season, the first five races last year were won by the same team. We didn't have anything close to that this year. And that's sort of what opened the door and allowed the quote unquote slower LMP2 cars to get in and really mix things up. Well, let's let's talk about the guys at the sharp end of the field. The 31 Wheeland Engineering Cadillac uh, and the 54 Core Autosport, the LMP2 car, uh, with their driver pairings of Eric Curran and Philip Nizer for the uh, full season and John Bennett and Colin Brown uh, in the second place. I mean, Jeremy, so close. Um, Eric and and Philip, you can't Philippe that you you can't. Can't not what they did for the season, uh, but in fairness, John John Bennett is he, he's, he's not a pro driver in in what is meant to be or allowed to be a full pro series. John Bennett is not he's not a professional driver. He doesn't claim to be. No. Um, and despite that, they were able to 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 do what they did, uh, and they did that as a result of, uh, of of playing the rules absolutely perfectly, getting John Bennett out of the first possible opportunity, and getting Colin Brown in the car. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the, they were certainly helped by the uh, by the by the equivalency f- formula in the middle of the season. They came away with those two magnificent wins. Take nothing away from them at all. They did a really, really good job. And you know, for that team to finish second in the championship, uh, just says an awful lot about uh, about how the team is put together. Uh, the relationship between the uh, the engineer and the, and the lead driver, father and son, yeah. which is. Uh, <laughs> no, no, not a bad thing to have either, is it? Uh, it was a great season all the way around for them. But isn't it the, the son's job not to listen to anything that his father says? I mean, how does that, how does that work? <laughs> Normally, but he, he, Colin put the put the uh, put the lies at that one, didn't he? And he, he was superb this season. He really was. Oh. Um, and uh, that, and that, Jeremy, that no, run, but... that run that they had from Watkins Glen through CTMP, Road America, and then WeatherTech, where they were first to second in in each of those four yeah. races, extraordinary. But I've got to say, Eric Curran, I thought did a cracking job this year. No, nobody has to be convinced, I'm sure, who's listening to this about Felipe Nazas um, performance <laughs> behind the wheel of anything. But Eric Curran more than pulled his weight this year. Did a good job, didn't he? And, uh, you know, very few mistakes and uh, always brought the car home clean to hand it over to Felipe and, and he did the rest. It was, again, a good good team performance, Action Express. You know, there was some, they had some grumbles, certainly uh, in terms of the equivalency of the cars at some stage during the season, but they kept their heads down and uh, in particular, Felipe just drove a, uh, a, a magnificent season and, and a deserved championship. Uh, second in, in three years for Eric Curran. Yeah. That tells you all, all you need to know, really, I think. Uh, and yeah. took, took away the Drivers' Championship and the Team's Championship in the Tequila Patron North American Endurance Cup. Behind that, let's look at some of the big teams that were there. Connick and Minolta, Cadillac this year, Shea. How do you, how do you rate what their, uh, their effort, how their effort will be rated back at base? Good, but not great coming off of the championship season. They did win a race, uh, getting the win at Petit Le Mans, which was nearly 500 days since their last win at Belle Isle, which is just crazy when you think about it. Ranger started off the season very strong, of course, coming in, filling the very big shoes of Ricky Taylor in the team. Ricky was the guy who always set the car up, he always made sure that everything was perfect. Ranger comes in at Daytona. He rips Elio Castroneves' heart from his chest, taking pole position at the last possible moment. So they started off perfectly, four podiums on the air and third in points, but only the one win 
that's not the way they wanted to defend their championship. They've already announced what they're going to be doing starting at Daytona. So it's clear that they are coming in with the big guns. They're, they're probably doing the steroids at the gym thing that you always see the guys who want to make themselves look bigger in the mirror. That's sort of what Wayne Taylor Racing is doing. And I would expect them to come back fighting strong. Uh, only, uh, the yeah, but it, it, was only, it was all down to Daytona for that yes, team. If, if, if yeah. it had resulted, they should have had Daytona. They most likely would have been champions. Yeah. Uh, yes. So it really was a great season for that team. And just that... You they had a, it was a, the engine broke, didn't it? Uh, at, yeah. uh, at, uh, at Rolex 24, and that uh, yeah, that all instantly they were 16 points behind uh, the uh, Action Express car number 31. Uh, the eventual margin between it was just seven, seven points, uh, and that was also with a problem they had at um, at uh, where the set raceway, didn't they? Uh, had some problems there with the, the at the end of the season as well for the Conic and Minolta car. So no, it was a really good season for them. They'll be disappointed with third in the championship, uh, but uh, they uh, they certainly had the pace for for better than that. Uh, Jerry, was it was it an engine thing or was it a tire concern? I seem to remember in the oh, early hours point. of the morning. Right. Beg your pardon. Yes, you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, a very creditable fourth position, Jeremy, for the JDC Miller Motorsports number ninety nine team in the manufacturers uh, in the uh, teams championship for the uh, weather. Tech the full season, which put Misha Goikberg and Stephen Simpson uh, also in joint fourth uh, for the Drivers' Championship as well. And, you know, that's a sterling effort for those guys, isn't it? Magnificent effort, really, yes. I mean, you know, that's, that is that is a small team compared to all the other teams, even compared to Core Autosport, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but uh, they did a magnificent job, and you know, they, they came away with a win at the uh, Salem Six Hours of the Glen. That was well-deserved. Uh, mm-hmm. Those those few races in the middle of the season, the, the P2 cars definitely had an advantage over the DPIs, yes. but they took full advantage of it uh, and won the race, and they had they had to work hard to do that. So hats off to, off to, the, to that. And to finish fourth in uh, in in the overall point stands at the end of the season, that's a remarkable effort by uh, by that pairing. And Shay, we should also talk about the other half of Action Express. Whilst the 31 wheel engineering Cadillac won, uh, the Mustang sampling car was uh, quite often up the sharp end of the field. We've seen it in the past, haven't we? In, in terms of the, the prototypes, uh, the Action Express cars, they run in two separate colours. They have two separate entrants now as mm-hmm. well to, to get their sponsors in. Cleverly done. They know how it works. Um, One pit box. One yeah, pit box. They, they, <laughs> but but they're, they, they, they seem to me rather be the, the like the Corvette racing of, of prototypes because they're all only ever two or three tenths or half a second uh, away from each other. Um, as soon as they roll off the truck, if they're good, you know they're going to be competitive. And most times when they roll off the truck... Both the 31 and the 5 this year were competitive. Yeah, the staggering thing for me, though, is that at the end of the year, the 5, the Mustang Sampling Racing Car, had two podiums only. Yeah, It won two races. So the only trips that Philippe Albuquerque and Joao Barbosa got to drink the champagne was when they were on the best step in the house. They got the phenomenal win at Daytona, a bit of redemption for the way that the race had ended the year before, where that car had been sort of pushed out of the way, uh, rightly so, by Ricky Taylor. But hey, that's that's old now. Coppola was in that closet. The fact that they only got the two wins and that Joao Barbosa hurt his wrist after a bicycle crash after Belle Isle, he was out of the car for a couple of races. Then they had the night where, a- at WeatherTech where they didn't even get to the start line, so they got a big fat yes. zero. That was the only reason why... 
by why Albuquerque wasn't in contention to win the championship at yeah. the final yes. round because, as you say, no points scored there at all. If they'd been on the podium there, uh, they'd have ended up as champions. Yeah. It's as simple as that. For Philippe Albuquerque to end up six in the points is a travesty, but totally yeah. down to the point system and the fact he didn't uh, score a single point from that race. And before I move on to uh, a couple of the really big name teams that we haven't talked about yet, uh, just a, a couple of footnotes. The Court Autosport guys uh, originally deciding that uh, second place and best of the Global P2 cars was not a bad return on the season and, and they would go out to win the P2 class in 2019. That's all swapped around because they're going to be running one of the ESM chassis. We'll talk about that team in a, in a moment or two uh, in next year's championship and that will send a shiver down some of the other manufacturer teams. I will tell you that now because that car, if they can get that car to work, it was undoubtedly fast when it was going. And the other thing I should say, JDC Miller Motorsports of course, they are going to be running two Cadillacs next year, although we don't know who the uh, drivers are going to be. I think we only know one driver as we sit here uh, at the moment. So again, they're stepping up. What that is likely to mean is a bit of a paucity of LMP2, the global cars next year. And with the Less likelihood, shall we say, of European teams coming over not to have a chance of overall victory. It'll be interesting to see how many full-time cars we get in that. We mentioned ESM, and we have to have a comment about this. The Tequila Patron sponsorship was coming to an end. We knew that. Ed Brown and Tequila Patron have been great partners to Scott Sharp's ESM team, part or joint owners, should I say, of that team. They've also been a great partner of IMSA and of sports car racing in North America, Jeremy, and they will be missed. Yeah, no question. What a legacy he's left in the sport, Ed Brown. I mean, uh, he's uh, he's... He's been a, uh, a stalwart of this series now for many, many years. And uh, we, we saw Scott Sharp, didn't we, at, uh, at the Mission Encore uh, last month. And he was still holding out hope that he's going to be back next season. But uh, the team, as you say, always looked good, always ran well. Uh, we're always thoroughly professional in every single way. And, yeah, they will be sorely missed. That's a great shame that uh, they're not going to be back. People, Durrani, uh, undoubted star there. He's heading off to Wheel and Engineering. Uh, Ryan DL goes to GTD next year as Peter Baron Starworks comes back with a with an Audi. Uh, Johannes van Overbeck, he decided it was called time to call time, and we wish him well as well. And again, share what a servant he's been to North American endurance racing, both in GTs and Latley in prototypes. Yeah, he's going to be another one that uh, it's really difficult to imagine the paddock without Johannes because he's been there for such a long time. But a great season for he and Pipo getting another win at the 12 Hours of Sebring. They got the win at Johannes's home track at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. It was just the reliability that was an issue for the Nismos. They had eight DNFs between the two cars over the course of the season, including the terrible weekend at Watkins Glen where they ran out of engines, had to run only one car at Canadian Tire Motorsport the next weekend. For ESM, it really was a disappointing season to go out on, but at least they have those two wins to put next to the tally card for 2018. Let's uh, stick with the Japanese manufacturers. At least we know there will be uh, a single, at least a single Nismo engine car there. What we don't know is the extent of uh, the involvement 
by Nissan. It was a, an engine rental deal for ESM. I don't see that that's going to change necessarily um, for next season and for core. Um, Mazda, first full year of Mazda Team Yost. I don't know what to say. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a it was a very strange season for really for both Mazda and Acura. We'll get to the, them in a minute. For for Mazda, I think yeah, Team Yost it, it certainly wasn't the same the Team Yost that we'd we'd been used to uh, running the Audis for so many years in uh, in competition on both sides of the of the, of the of the Atlantic because they made several, to my mind. Strategic errors, which was really weird, Unusual. considering that it wasn't. It, it, there was some all the, the strategy people. They were really, really good people. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, either I got it wrong or they got it wrong. Well, they they were the ones who were out on the racetrack, well, <laughs> um, <laughs> and they didn't get the results that I thought they should have had on several several occasions. But yeah. uh, it all came it all came sort of well good good at the end of the season with a you know a second and third at uh, Petit Le Mans that's what the team was capable of doing and and they finally delivered it they, they came short of the victory just uh, just fractionally but it was a really good strong run to end of the season and you know for any new partnership it's always going to have some sort of growing pains so I think you've got to give you've got to you've got to give them that plus the fact it is so competitive at the front of the field here but I would certainly expect the Mazas to be up front on a regular basis in 2019. So it's a good platform from which to build. Both cars on the podium, as Jeremy said, at the end of the season. Uh, there was there was a little high point at mid-Ohio when they thought they'd cracked it and they were on, on the podium there as well, Shea. But yeah. uh, who can forget Sebring uh, and the, oh. the gear issues? What happened at WeatherTech? Oh, Harry, Harry with a low percentage lunge. And that, I mean credit to the team for you know just getting over that and and moving on but that was an uncharacteristic error by Harry maybe still in GT mode I don't know but that was a race that that went begging do you see the green shoots of of something coming through there recovery coming through Mike Peters was on the box for them Ralph Yutner was there I mean this this was not a pared down Yost effort this was full house Yost Racing. Yeah, and they certainly came to the track every weekend feeling like they should win, that it was in their control. And there Mm. were so many weekends where it looked like they were going to break through. They were going to get that first win. And then something just happened. And as you rightly say, that Sebring moment, that that still is just terrible to think about. But they've got the pieces in place now no excuses. Everything has been used up, and they're still testing in the offseason. They are yeah, still yeah. developing the car further over in Europe, trying to make it even better because they know that it's a, a team and a an equation capable of winning a championship. They just need to get together and do it. It's not the year that they wanted. It's the year that they got. And think about it. Ollie Jarvis was practically new to every track. Yes, he was. That in itself is phenomenal. I, I, so, thought, I thought he was a star player, if I'm honest. Oh, I thought was Ollie great. was very, very impressive. Uh, what they have proved is that whatever improvements they did on the car, and that was a thorough re-engineering of the car, it certainly got the pace. Uh, there were still a few niggles at the start of the season, but they, it looked like the reliability was coming on better towards the end of the year. Let's finish up with Aki. 
Acura than Jeremy, and it's not just any Acura, it's Penske Acura. It's Acura Penske, actually. They finished second in the Manufacturers' Championship, albeit by 16 points to Cadillac, who won it. But I can't imagine Tim Sindrick, Roger Penske, or anybody at HPD will be particularly happy at the year. Penske don't do learning years, and that very much looked like a year learning year. It did. I mean, it was it was you know, people pulled together pr- primarily from the from the IndyCar side of the program, but a lot of sports car people as well. From that, so many of them have been, have been there from when uh, they ran the RS Spider Porsches back uh, you know ten years ago now. Uh, so there was a lot of depth of experience in that in that team. Uh, but you're know, getting the drivers to work together, the two IndyCar drivers, Juan Pablo Montoya and Elio Castro and Evers, getting together with Ricky Taylor and Dane Cameron. So there's a there's a melding that had to happen there. Um, they did have two wins, probably could have, should have had several more. They certainly had some mechanical problems as well with that new car this season. Various ancillary parts falling by the wayside from time to time. So, yes, they'll be disappointed. But, they, they, again, that team also has good grounds for being very optimistic going into 2019. What will be interesting for me, Shea, is whether they keep the same driver lineup. There's one certain Jay Button who could be shoehorned uh, into there. He wants to do other things, and he's been doing some endurance racing to great effect, of course, in the Super GT series. There was, at various stages through the season, a bit of a contrast between Juan Montoya and Elio Castro Neves. Elio uh, is ebullient, with a capital E, and bullient right throughout the season, (laughs) no matter... Even when he ended up in the wall at Moss Corner at uh, Canadian Time Motorsport Park, Wow Sport, as he kept calling that place. Juan is a different character. He's a little more mercurial, and I don't think it's fair to to pick on him for that but he didn't seem to have such an enjoyable year and it seemed to take him a little bit longer maybe just to get his head around this endurance racing thing yeah uh, he did have the pole at Long Beach which he was kind of awestruck that he had even gotten that to be honest Juan Montoya doesn't need to justify being in any race car ever he's (laughs) proven absolutely to everyone in the world that he is excellent he he sets the bar that being said he wasn't the fastest Penske driver. It wasn't even Elio. It was Ricky Taylor. Great so for, for Ricky, it was a, a hard season, too, because you're coming in from a team where you're literally part of the family to where you're joining the legend that is Team Penske. Yeah. Tim Sindrick is talking to you over the headset. Yeah. And your co-driver is a three-time Indy 500 winner. Mm. That's a lot. No pressure. To, to get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all good. Just don't worry about it. But six podiums for the team, more podiums attained by Montoya and Dane Cameron, who, by the way, another superstar. They had a really hard time finding a car setup that worked well for both drivers. Montoya liked the car one way and Cameron liked it the other way. Elio and Ricky melded a lot better together. So it was a learning year for Penske. We do have to, to take advantage of that. But by no means should they be ashamed of what they were able to accomplish. No. Getting that win at Mid-Ohio at Acura's home track, let's not forget. Yes. That was huge. All right, let's have your nominations, please, for Team and Driver of the Year in Prototype. Congratulations to Wheel and Engineering, who, who won the title, and uh, to their two drivers, who also won the title, Eric Curran and Philippe Naza. Right, so is it that? Is it the little team that, never mind, could... Did 
and Valley nearly did more. That would be core Autosport. Is it somebody like JDC Miller Motorsport who did a lot with a little? Uh, Shea, you can have first crack at this for the team. It's going to be the same as my nomination in uh, Midweek Motorsport, John. It's core Autosport yeah. because where did they come from? How did Great. they do that? And what are they going to do next year? Very definition of a team effort for core Autosport on the box on the pit stops and with the two drivers. It's hard to see past that, Jeremy, for the team of the year in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship prototypes. Completely agree. I, I, I didn't like the way they, they, they no. played the rules uh, to uh, their advantage rather than to the spirit by qualifying Colin Brown, taking stealing everybody's thunder and then Agreed. starting at the back of the field with John Ben. I didn't like that. Uh, but that's what uh, yeah, that's just a personal thing. You have to give the, the team credit absolutely for, for thinking of that and, and doing everything they could to put themselves into in position to win races, which they did, and the championship, which they almost did. So absolutely right. I agree. Yes. Jeremy, driver or driving pair of the year. This is a tough one because, as we've already mentioned, there were people, even in cars that maybe didn't, and teams that didn't do that well. We mentioned Ollie Jarvis, for example, Elio Castroneves. He had a, a, a great year uh, as well and thoroughly enjoyed himself at the sharp end of the field. Uh, Jordan Taylor, Colin Brown, John Bennett, or one of the two winners, or someone else, Jeremy, your driver of the year. Yeah, tough one. I, I, I have a hard time choosing between uh, Philippe Albuquerque, Felipe Nasser, well, and Colin Brown, to be honest. But if I'm going to go for a pairing, I think I'm going to go for Jordan Taylor and Rega van der Zander. Good shout. Yeah. For me, they did a really good job all the way through the season together, uh, and uh, I thought that was... Uh, a standout year for them. Uh, third place in the championship wasn't what they wanted after uh, sweeping up last year for that for that Wayne Taylor racing, but uh, it was a great pairing. Good shout for Renga, because when we talk about pressure yeah. on people, there was pressure on him this year to perform, and he, and he certainly yeah. delivered all the way through, and when he qualified as well, which I think, again, a few people yeah. were surprised about. Shea, driver of the year for you in prototypes. I'm going to put Renga in as an early nomination for 2020. 19 driver of the year just because i feel like he's going to step up and do it again uh but for 2018 it's got to be ricky taylor for everything we were just talking about the pressure of being the defending series champion going to a new team and rising up to the occasion so for me that's ricky thank you very much indeed to share adam and to jeremy shaw agree or disagree then you can always drop us a line to either at IMSA Radio or at RSL underscore studio on Twitter. And don't forget, we'll be back on RS2. Whatever else is happening in IMSA doesn't affect the IMSA Radio coverage of 2019, which starts with live coverage from the Raw, because there's a race there, and there's some competitive running for the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. And Shea and Jeremy and myself We'll be there to see you all the way through from the Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona to Motul Petit Le Mans at the end of the year. If you think 2018 was good, I've got a feeling that 2019 might be even better. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.